Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This week is, uh, as it is every week, it's a special episode. Is we're, we're joined this week by uh, two gentlemen in the uh, PCA, the Premium Cigar uh, Association, Josh Haberski. Josh, welcome to the program. This is your first time here. This is. Very excited. Thank you for having us on as uh, guests. Really looking forward to the conversation today. As am I. As am I. This will be an interesting This will be an interesting show. And then we're going to welcome back to the show a uh, third time. Uh, guest Glenn Loop. Glenn, welcome back. James, like I said earlier, I'm shocked that you keep records on these types of things. <laughs> it, I, you know, I'm not saying you're stalking, but anyway, well, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be the first time I've been accused of stalking somebody. <laughs> Probably is, but maybe not. So before we get into the conversation about government affairs, and we'll get an update as to where we're at, where we're going, and we'll look back on 2021. Uh, I want to invite you guys to all go to uh, OxfordCigarCompany.com and use coupon code SIMPLYSTOGIES for 15% off your entire purchase. That's right. Coupon code SIMPLYSTOGIES at checkout. You'll get 15% off anything you purchase, uh, and, and it's fast shipping. Oxford Cigar Company has a great selection of, of accessories and uh, the greatest and latest cigars out there. OxfordCigarCompany.com, coupon code SIMPLYSTOGIES for 15% off. Do you like true crime? Oh my god, Kat, you can't just ask people if they like murder. I'm curious. Well, curiosity killed the cat. Uh, does that make you curiosity? No, I'm Logan. And I'm Kat. And we're the hosts of the true crime comedy podcast, Spoiler They Die. One of us tells a story about a serial killer, a survivor, or basically anything morbid and scary. Also, we're Canadian, in case that matters to anyone. I don't think people listen to podcasts based on people being Canadian or not. People in our Discord server seem to care. Oh, sorry about that, eh? But thanks for listening to us panhandle. I'm Logan, and I approve this message. All right, so now that all the shilling is done, uh, Joshua, we'll start with you because you're you're new to the show. Uh, tell everybody, if they're not familiar with what you do at the PCA, let them know what you do at the PCA. Yeah, absolutely. So I have the fortunate pleasure of uh, running our government affairs program uh, at PCA, I started with the association about three years ago uh, as our director of federal affairs, and then uh, you know started working on government affairs in general. Had the op- great opportunity uh, to work with Glenn now uh, for over a year. Uh, I think we're coming up on our anniversary, Glenn. So uh, we'll have to celebrate somehow. But, Speaking uh, of stalking, <laughs> it, you know it's um, it's great to do. You know, Glenn does the bulk work on the state side, but uh, we're an all hands on deck organization. We don't really have that. You know, in in the past and past associations, you would have federal did their thing and state did their thing. Uh, here, we're integrated. We're you know we're we have a real good camaraderie and team spirit. And, you know, if there's things on the federal side where, you know, I'm bogged down and I'm busy, Glenn has a wealth of knowledge, the connections, and we leverage that. And I think on the state side, um, you know, I have certain relationships with retailers and manufacturers uh, and, and we'll do some state advocacy work uh, in assistance of Glenn's programming. Uh, so it's been a, a really good fun ride. We've had some good, uh, you know, achievements along the way. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Cause I know that the PCA and you, Josh, you were, you were recognized as one of the top lobbyists uh, for the year this year. I think it was his second year in a row. Uh, fourth year in a fourth row. Fourth year in a row. Well, so, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, it, last year it was the, the Jordan, the th- you know, three year, three Pete. Uh, so yeah, this was the fourth year I did grassroots uh, before that, that was really 
kind of where I grew up in government affairs was grassroots organizing. I worked for the Motorcyclist Association, Diabetes Association and Public Health, and then uh, community, independent community bankers uh, before going on. So I've had a over a decade year, you know, a decade ride in government affairs and I've enjoyed it every minute of it. And I'm fortunate now to be in something that's my passion. I'm a avid cigar smoker, you know, started when I was in, in, in college in the Winston Churchill Society where all us political science students came together and um, now really get to live out my passion in, in such a great organization. Nice. Nice. I was going to ask where you started. So I'm glad you, you, you said that. Glenn, Let's bring you in. Now, the last time you were on, you were you were uh, with the, the CRA. And you actually promised me stories. You said, as soon as I'm done, as my tenure is over with the CRA, <laughs> I will tell you stories, James. And then I saw you at the PCA, uh, and you're now, you know, you're on the state advocacy uh, side there with the PCA. And I was like, I, I'm guessing those stories are off the table now. And you're like, yep. Sorry, they sure are. <laughs> Glenn, well, welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm in politics, James. I lied to you. <laughs> that sounds like it's par for the course. <laughs> How are oh you, sir? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's always great to start an interview with somebody you you know, know and respect and love like I do you. And say, hey, I, I, I lied to you. I lied. Or no. I, could, I could start out with saying, it's not you. It's me. It's me. Right. Yeah. I mean, either way, I get to, it's the same feeling of dejection and rejection. And yeah, no, it's fine. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. The stand, the, the statute of limitations aren't up on some of those stories yet. And fortunately or not, some of the parties are still alive. So uh, I, I can only go so far. But no, we can, I understand. We can make we can draw some analogies, though. We can uh, draw some analogies. But I'm looking forward to for a book that he can sell and, and make it a New York Times oh, I bet he could, too. Like, I'm just waiting for I will buy that book. I will absolutely buy that book. Glenn, so and there's one story I want to tell so bad, I can't. But one of these days, my friend. One, one of these days. days. I can't wait. I can't wait. Glenn, what's it like? What's the difference between what you do now at the, at the PCA as opposed to what you did at the CRA, kind of give the folks a little bit of like uh, just what you're up to now. I get to think more about advocacy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honest to God, I'm not being flip and I'm not being, uh, you know, when you're, you know, I, I feel blessed by the, my time with CRA and truly blessed. And it was, a uh, as I'm fond of putting it, I've had marriages not last that long. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um, but in this capacity, I, I truly get to think about advocacy for day in and day out. And, you know, over the course of my, my dozen years with CRA, we raised about 11 and a half, 11.7 million dollars. And when you're raising that kind of money from both a grassroots perspective and within the industry, you've got to spend a tremendous amount of your time focused on, on begging. And, and it's just part of the game. Um, right. You know, my, my boss, dear friend, Scott Pierce, uh, God bless him. He, he has to think about that type of thing. And we all chip in. It's like what Josh said about advocacy, on hand, all hands on deck. We all play our part. And, and, you know, we do what we can to help on that front as well. But, you know, the, if money is the mother's milk of politics, it's, an, it's a part of this dialogue that we cannot get around. Right. Litigation is expensive. Lobbying is expensive. Participating in the political process is expensive. And so, you know, having a discussion about money and the role that this industry uh, has with, with advocacy and litigation, the role of money is something that we shouldn't ignore. No. And that we should have a bigger, bigger public dialogue about. And I wasn't planning on going there today, but since we brought it up, you know, uh, both all, all the organizations involved with cigar advocacy, all of us, have to be consumed with that subject. And it's, it's just, you know, here we are going into a new year. It's a good, maybe it's a good time to have that type of a reality check um, because, you know, it takes millions. And I'm not just throwing that out. It takes millions of dollars to successfully fight these cases in court, which the industry has done. It takes millions to execute an effective advocacy campaign. And as, as our former P 
PCA president, John Anderson puts it, we do more for less than anybody he knows. Right. And Josh is fond of putting it. The other advocacy groups notice how we quote unquote punch above our weight. It's cause we can make some noise. It's easier, if you will, to recruit political allies of the industry based upon the, the love of cigars, just the blatant love of cigars. Um, Josh did a podcast last night with a sitting member of Congress as the congressman was sitting in his office enjoying a cigar. It's something that I've been blessed to do with numerous members of Congress. Uh, we bring them together, and it's so bipartisan. Um, I'll tell you a quick anecdote that the statute of limitations is up on, but it's just I say this I say this story purely, purely out of I think it depicts the true state of the politics of the industry. Former Congressman uh, John Klein of Minnesota is a hardcore Tea Party conservative. Uh, one night, where we we were having a cigar event with uh, with members of Congress and, and staff members, and joining us was was Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr. Could not find two more diametrically opposite political characters. Right. I mean, and this is so, such a cool story. And they were standing beside each other, John Klein, Jesse Jr. And Congressman Klein got up there and he said, oh, with a cigar in his hand, and he said, you know, uh, we fight like cats and dogs on that hill every single day. Can't find a thing in the world to agree on. It's a horrible state of affairs. But I know, but I know that if I can get together with my friend, Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr., that evening over a cigar, we can find some common ground. And Jesse Jr., then Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr. then said, that makes a cigar an instrument of bipartisanship. And I'll never forget that moment. It was just like, ooh. You know, the <laughs> silence came over the, the balcony. And, you know, it proved political opposites can come together for, for something as politically benign and should be benign legislatively from a regulatory context as coming together to enjoy a cigar absolutely, and protecting that, just protecting that ability for people like you and me or members of Congress. And, and so anyway, that's my one anecdote I'll share. That's something that's continuing to this day. You know, we, we have in the next two days here at the office, we're going to have over 25 members of Congress, men, women, Republicans, Democrats, people from the House, people from the Senate will be here for, you know, our, our holiday party, well, which, you know, it, I'm reading a book on the silent night, the Christmas truce. And I feel as though we're, we're you know, cultivating people together, bringing people together for, for a bit of a truce. It is very ugly, the political system right now. Uh, but as Glenn correctly pointed out, it is the great equalizer. You have people from all different walks of life that are able to intelligently have some of the tougher conversations. Um, my mom always told me, don't talk politics or religion, but I feel comfortable doing so in a cigar lounge. Unfortunately, I in my work, I travel to a lot of cigar lounges, so I talk a lot of politics and religion. So, you know, I'm kind of kind of the traveling preacher at, at this point in my life. But, um, you know, I, I really do, you know, and, and we, we're all about creating this experiential uh, atmosphere where people can truly understand the ins and outs of premium cigars, the culture, the camaraderie, and, um, you know, Outsiders don't understand it. And we're tr trying to get people more, you know, congressional staff, but also the general public and educate them about some of the, um, you know, unknowns that there are. I mean, it can be intimidating when you first walk into a shop. But once you do that, um, you know, I, I, I've last year and this year, I've gone to over 100 new cigar lounges. That's one of my goals every year is to visit new stores. And each and every one that I go into is, is a welcoming atmosphere where I can strike up a conversation. I, I don't know anywhere else where you can do that. You don't go to the grocery store or, <laughs> uh, you know, Whole Foods down the street or, or, you know, some of the restaurants and just you can sit there and talk for hours about anything. Right. Um, so, you know, that's one of the most rewarding things about this role and, and having to deal with the intersection of the you know, political system, 
but also inter intertwined with that cigar culture. Right. And I, I think we have a unique opportunity here with you two. And we definitely, we definitely want to cover like the money piece later on. And we want to cover, um, you know, what kind of goes into lobbying, but I, I want to start with you, Josh. I, I want to find out like what, what were some of the gains made this year as we look back on what 2021 was? I mean, it was kind of a weird year. It was the first year. I mean, we're still in the pandemic that hasn't gone away. How did the pandemic affect what you do? Uh, and, and kind of like, what were some of the really big wins for us? Yeah, so a absolutely. I think, you know, looking back on on uh, 2020, that was probably the most challenging year uh, in the in the association's history, in our careers, um, ha having to deal with all the constraints, the restrictions, um, you know, the closures of shops, the closures of factories, um, and the you know the response and the rebound um, it, it, a after the uh, the dark ages. You, you had the renaissance, and this was the renaissance year. You had a trade show uh, where it was the, the family gathering. Everybody came back together. For many, it was the first time seeing people that they've known for decades uh, come together uh, under one roof to talk about the industry and the path forward. Um, you know, I think there, there are many different state advocacy wins that were, were racked up this year. Uh, but one of the things that I'm most proud of, and it's something that uh, in Glenn and I are doing the, the media tours uh, over the next two weeks in all the different uh, publications and podcasts and interviews. And I'm going to repeat this time and time again. This year is the first year that I am aware of in, in the past decade where there was no tax increases that passed a legislature in all 50 states and the federal level. Um, and wow you know, you had that, you had the, the effects of the court victories, those millions of dollars that Glenn referenced, um, that we had a, a era or, or a year of where new products could come to market, where we had regulatory uncertainty. We knew, everyone knew how to operate. And I think that's why you see this mini boom, as people are calling it, People had more time to, you know, find hobbies. And for many new, for many people, cigars was that time where they relaxed on their patio or if they were working from home, they had a cigar uh, for the first time. And I think, um, you know, giving all the constraints and all the difficulties of last year, and don't get me wrong, some of them persisted into this year. We had a very successful year from both an association perspective as well as an industry perspective that encapsulates manufacturers, retailers, and consumers. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because like you said, we are kind of in a mini boom. People, a lot of folks are calling it the second uh, cigar boom. And, and typically when you see the kind of growth that this industry has seen uh, over the past since 2020, I mean, is really when it started to take off. So it's been almost two years now uh, where, where it's just year over year, retailers are making money. Uh, you see more cigar manufacturers coming into the into the uh, business, into the industry. Um, typically, when something like that happens, the federal government uh, they kind of lick their lips and rub their hands together, like mm, more money for me. Uh, and that hasn't happened. Why? Why do you think that is? Because, like you said, this is the first year that there were no tax increases across the board. Why do you well, think that is? I, I think they certainly tried. I think that you're, you're, you're on track. They definitely, you know, saw that many different states and, and Glenn can reference that. But federally, you know, uh, Senator Durbin um, introduced pieces of legislation called the Tobacco Tax Equity Act. He's done that for many Congresses in a row. And um, this year in the Build Back Better agenda, that was included in the first draft that came out of uh, the Ways and Means Committee. So it was a real threat. They introduced it twice before earlier this year. We opposed it from the onset. PCA took a leadership role as an association in fighting this thing. You know, we're not gonna negotiate. We are against this for premium cigars and pipe tobacco. And, um, you know, we only need to get to three members of the house and, and, and two senators uh, really to oppose this. Um, and, and a lot of folks were like, all right, let's focus on the Senate. We wanted to do a two track. I don't want to set a precedent where a $3 per cigar or $50 to $60 per box tax 
passes the House of Representatives. Right. So we were able to stave that off. Um, you know, we're continuing to this day to pound the pavement and say this is irresponsible. It's not going to raise the revenue. It affects households making under four hundred thousand dollars disproportionately. Um, and you know, a litany of talking points against that. That you know, you can reference cigaraction.org. You can see them all there and all the letters that we've sent. But it was our most successful single grassroots campaign. Um, that the association has run. We facilitated uh, 30,000 messages from consumers to Congress about that. Nice. Glenn, let's bring you in. 50 states, all 50 didn't, didn't pass uh, a, a cigar tax increase on, on, uh, on the cigars. Like that's, that's pretty big. Well, and many of us thought through the crystal ball of 19, that 2019 and 20, a lot of us thought that the cost of the pandemic, the cost of sustaining our economy, the cost of these stimulus packages was going to going to put added pressure on tax increase proposals at both the state right. and federal level. Well, what happened? A funny thing happened on the way to the Capitol. Revenues collections were up in every state in the union. People, I mean, I say people, capitals were running and are to this moment running serious, serious mm -hmm. surpluses. And it's much, much more challenging to justify a tax increase when you're, you know, when your coffers are running a surplus. I mean, here in Virginia, we're talking about 13 billion extra dollars to divvy up in, uh, in January. And I, I, I've also want to add this, and I think it's an important uh, point in in the transitioning of cigar politics, and I'll I'll give you a, a tangible example. The last tax increase to be on the table at the end of last year was Maine, and Maine's become a quite a you know liberal state, if you will, a streak of independence, and they do have a sense of bipartisanship. But for all intents and purposes, it's you know become a rather liberal sure. state, and. Once again, there was a, a tax increase proposal on the table. The retailers in Maine did an amazing job of making it a small business issue, not a tobacco issue. When you put, you know, we hired guns could come in from here. Here comes Glenn from Washington and Virginia. Here comes Josh from Washington. Here comes the uh, retained lobbyists. Uh, I say this with all due respect because they did an amazing job on this on this proposal from the CAA. Well, we are all hired guns, and that's the way we're perceived. It's a very, very different day in the communications about what happened, how these proposals are perceived. When you say, listen, guys, you go away, be quiet. We're going to let the employees do the talking. And in the hearings on that tax increase proposal in Maine, it wasn't the hired guns. It was Susie who works at the local tobacco shop. It was Jake who works at the local tobacco shop. Spread out, Bangor, Portland, geographically spread out. This is about me, not about, the, this is about my job. This is about my ability to take care of my family. When you put it in that context, finally, these issues are becoming less and less, hopefully. I mean, this part of the equation, political calculus doesn't go away. But we're doing a much better job as an industry stating this is about jobs. This is about a shop on your local Main Street. This is about not hurting an industry during the time of pandem pandemic economic recovery. Those issues have nothing to do with public health. And frankly, we should be removed. We should be removed from the debate about public health because as far as I'm concerned, we've put that issue to rest with the filings with the FDA, clearly demonstrating and them acknowledging that we're not a hazard to public health. So if we're not a hazard to public health, we're one half of 1% of the total tobacco universe. Why look at us for your tax increases? And studies have, and the industry's gotten much more sophisticated about providing studies to elected officials. And we've gotten, we have one study in, in Virginia that's now completely a national model that when these tobacco tax increases go into effect, yes, you collect a, a small mountain of tax on the front end of these proposals after they've been enacted. But what happens in years two, 
three, and four. They drop off. They subside. The consumer finds cheaper alternatives to buy the exact same product. Those types of analysis are allowing us to sell our message in a way that was totally unavailable to us, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And I, I, I credit the retail community for being more, more sophisticated in how they're playing their political game by putting those employees out there front and center. I'll tell you another quick example, Delaware. Last, uh, when was it, Josh? Last fall before the Delaware legislature can uh, adjourn a proposal from a Democrat to reduce the taxes on cigars. And that proposal is still alive, being carried over to 2021, the upcoming 22 sessions. Uh, it wasn't the hired guns on there begging and pleading for the tobacco tax decrease on cigars. It was the consumers. Consumers calling in their testimony from cigar shops. Let's think about that for just a second. Consumers calling in their testimony from cigar shops to a Delaware committee hearing on what their local shop means to them. These are amazing anecdotes for a, a new day in the politics of cigars. Absolutely. I don't, I don't disagree. And we're going to, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit here and talk about the future uh, of what's coming up. We've talked about the wins, but the future in my mind, and this isn't to take anything away from the federal government, because I think, uh, every all of us here know that the federal government's never going to go away. They're always going to be lurking over the industry, trying to take what's not theirs, what is ours. Um, and so that fight is ongoing. But on the state level, that that fight, I think, is in many ways just getting started. Absolutely. And, and, and I so, think in, in that sense, you're, you're right. And I think that, you know, it starts at the federal government and it definitely goes downward to the states. And now, you know, Glenn can attest, we're seeing a lot of issues where they're the anti-tobacco groups and public health groups are going and saying, well, we can't get anything done at the state level. So let's go after this locality where, you know, yep. we, we can, yep. we might not be able to win in, in New York state, but we're going to be able to win in New York city, which cancels out a huge market for, for, for people. So we're fighting those local, Absolutely. local authority bills around, you know, in terms of the, the uh, before we pivot over, I want to mention uh, two of the other major victories uh, that were achieved yes, in, in, in the states uh, this last cycle, uh, preserving one of the oldest tax caps in the state of Michigan, uh, the, the retailers there stepping up and, and seeing that through in a, you know, in a divided government where there is a progressive uh, Democratic governor recognizing again to Glenn's point, they made it about a small business issue and they were successful in doing so. North Carolina seeing a tax cap put in place for 30 cents, not, not even 50 cents, 30 cents. Uh, so, you know, in, in the state of North Carolina, uh, people are, are able to get, the consumers are able to get those products uh, at, at a more affordable rate. So, you know, those are big achievements. I think they play into, you know, the, the next question that you were mentioning about where the states are moving forward. Um, we're putting together something called Vision 50, uh, which is what uh, our, our executive director, Scott Pierce, has coined. We're identifying in each state a positive, proactive uh, legislative vehicle that we can do something to improve the state of retailing or the business of retail tobacconists uh, in all 50 states. And that, that's going to be an ongoing project one that we're uh, excited to work with the stakeholders in the states, the state associations. Um, if you look at it across the board, there are three to six retailers in some states that do the lion's shares work and they're able to get a lot of, uh, you know, achieve. Just here in DC, across the border in Virginia and Maryland, uh, you have great state associations where there uh, is considerable leadership uh, of people that, um, you know, we're, we're talking less than 10 uh, are, are able to achieve things. So we don't, we might not necessarily have the quantity uh, of, of people that are advocating, you know, these public health groups can pay millions of dollars and, and get people out of the woodwork, signing, you know, petitions and, and all of that. We're still playing in that arena, but the quality of the message and the messenger we're getting much better at. Good, because that's, I mean, that's really what it boils down to, because as, as Glenn pointed out, it's not just the states 
the states are finding that it's almost as difficult as it is at the federal level to get these laws enacted, to get these tax hikes uh, enacted. Uh, and so they're moving it down to the local level. And so how how do you get Johnny and Jane Cigar Smoker involved at the local level? Because the PCA is a is a retail driven entity. That's the that that is your focus. You're focused on, on the retail side of it and, and, and protecting the retailer. And it's not really a consumer. That's more the CRA. But how does the PCA help consumers get involved? Is there a way? Because like, let's most of my listeners are, are, are cigar smokers or cigar consumers. How do they get involved? How do they how do they help out on a local and state level and 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 get their local B&Ms involved? Well, as you pointed out, uh, our our best vehicle is our grassroots ability to galvanize people because people are passionate about protecting the ability to enjoy a premium handmade cigar. And the best vehicle we've got to do that is through our cigaraction.org portal. Everybody that's listening to this broadcast, everybody needs to sign up at cigaraction.org. It's simple. Your name, your zip code. From there, we know where you live. Metaphorically speaking, we know <laughs> where you live. and But that gives us a foundation with knowing how many constituents we have in congressional districts at the federal level, state legislatures in, in your local, with your local state capital. Uh, we know how far... People live from the district offices of their legislators, how easy it can be for them to do constituent outreach. And I'll tell you, elections, as, as everybody well knows, elections are being decided by, by razor thin margins these days. And if we get, let's say at the state level, if we get one, two, 300 cigar smokers to contact a given legislator about a tax increase proposal, we've made an impact. They'll listen to 300. I can name you legislative elections in this country where a cigar shop was the difference between winning and losing because of 75 votes. Wow. In a, in a primary. I mean, the, the shops are far more politically engaged than they ever have been, but we've got a long way to go at building that critical mass you know, Josh mentioned, thank God we did put 30,000 messages into Congress through CigarAction.org on the tax increase. But you know what? It should have been 230,000. Mm-hmm. It should have been 330,000. And at the state level, we should be pushing pushing several, let's just say a dozen bills come out of the blue that are bad for us in, in New York or Illinois or Minnesota next year. We need to be able to put several thousand cigar consumers' emails into legislative mailboxes any given week because of threatening legislation. And and I think, you know, from from the PCA perspective, we look at our membership, the the retail brick and mortar stores, they are our platforms, they are conveners of all of these consumers and the industry at large to get involved in these legislative issues. You know, it is a communications tool, it is a war room where you can galvanize people to get involved in the political process, teach them how to communicate with government effectively. And, um, you know, getting, we've looked at a lot of the issues that we're facing and and identify the interconnectedness of all of it, that, you know, it, it isn't a retail issue. It isn't a manufacturer issue. It isn't a consumer issue. It is a premium cigar industry issue where we all right. need to come together. And, um, you know, we are a lot stronger when we're fighting in unison towards uh, a common goal. And like, yes, there are going to be differences that come along throughout the course of it, and we'll be able to work through those. But, um, you know, our, our strategy, which we, you know, we, we take, and Glenn and I are in the midst of this right now, uh, working with our team, is putting together a strategy for the whole year and our priorities and, and identifying where we think we can have an impact. And each year we get a little bit better um, in the sophistication of our grassroots, of our membership, of our own knowledge, what works, what doesn't work, improve, listen to feedback. You know, Glenn and I love doing programs such as this because we get to uh, communicate with different audiences, get them connected to cigaraction.org, inform them on the latest of what's happening but also hear that feedback, both positive and negative. If there's a resource that we're not producing, 
let us know so that we can get uh, behind that, put some time and effort uh, to get the information to the consumers, the retailers and manufacturers so that they can be part of this overall apparatus as we move forward. If someone's listening uh, to the program right now and they're like, I don't know if my if my local lounge is a PCA member or not, like how, how do they broach that subject with the lounge owner and say, hey, are you a member of the PCA? You know, and if so, if not, why not? Like, is there is there something they can go to somewhere they can go and get that that kind of resource to, like, argue for you guys? Yeah. You know, I, I said, you know, our website, pre- our, our main website, premiumcigars.org has all of the, the benefits of, you know, PCA membership. The easy identifier is in July, if the shop owner is traveling to Las Vegas, <laughs> the trade show. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that, and again, this is about pragmatic, proactive strategy. Glenn and I are getting out in the field. We're, when we see in the news, new shop opening, you know, a couple months later, we're going to be in there. Hey, you know, how's everything going? How can we help? Um, you know, we're, we're actually have fielded a number of calls with uh, potential shop owners that don't have, the, they aren't physically opened yet, but have the intention of eventually becoming PCA members when their shop is open. So identifying those early on, kind of walking them through the process. And if you're helping people get through the regulatory nightmare of opening a shop, you increase the likelihood that they're going to be a longstanding member uh, and an active member, um, you know, of the organization itself. So we're identifying um, new businesses that uh, are potential members. You know, I would say to consumers, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to ask, uh, saying that they heard us on a broadcast they think that you know they want to get involved we're happy to also come to uh lounges and offer whether it's in person or virtual updates um we've had several brick and mortar retailers that have taken us up uh last year glenn and i did a virtual regional tour of uh, you know different state associations and updating them on the latest what's going on but we're happy to get granular and do it for, you know, Bob's cigar shop and, uh, you know, the to have, or the dozen or two dozen most loyal customers to give them kind of the update. Um, we have Patrick Anderson, who works on the federal team with me and Ryan Parada, who uh, works on our government affairs team also. So there's four of us. Uh, it, it is very easy for us to give a half hour update because we've probably given them a hundred times. At the- <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, these are. I'm sure these are all questions you've been asked a thousand times in the last week. So none of this is new to you guys. You guys are. Uh, it's old hat for you. But Josh, let me ask you this: Next year, 2022, what do you see federally as like the biggest? Is there anything that you're seeing coming down the pipe? Are you hearing any rumors of uh, of what the federal government's looking to do? And I mean, the FDA is always they're always trying to do something. There, there's a couple different things. There's the, uh, so with the court decision, we, the FDA this year pulled the docket for the regulatory prof- process on premium cigars. And in doing so, they also commissioned the National Academies of Sciences and Medicine to do a comprehensive study on the health effects and usage of premium cigars. That study is set to be released around the April time period. And that will inform future regulations on premium cigars. Um, So we expect that there are gonna be some some challenges when that's released and and how we communicate with the FDA to see if there are, are, uh, you know, I presented in front of that committee twice. My uh, boss, Scott Pierce did. I know some of the other industry stakeholders did and we've shared information. Uh, but, you know, this is a dozen, 15 or so uh, public health professionals that have been hand selected by the FDA um, to do this study. Um, and we know from some of their past research, they're not necessarily all sympathetic to our cause. Right. So, you know, we're preparing for that. Additionally, um, the Biden administration has announced their intention of banning menthol cigarettes as well as flavored cigars. So we're not necessarily concerned on the cigarette side, that's not in our belly wick, 
And premium cigars, our definition is, um, you know, that they are are hand-rolled, non-machine-made, non-flavored, you know, just vegetable gum, water, and whole leaf tobacco. However, we recognize, and and folks can reference our policy statement on this, uh, on CigarAction.org, that we do have retailers that sell flavored cigars or flavored products. And there's a difference. We, We believe that the lowest threshold for regulation, you know, there should be next to no regulation on premium cigars that meet that strict definition that was enshrined in the courts and enshrined by the FDA in their, um, you know, the the final rule on pre-market review and substantial equivalence. Right. We do believe that there should be a pathway and that flavor products should be allowed to be sold uh, in in some facet. So um, we need to see what this final rule uh, or the, or this rule when they release it, there's been no policy making so far. It's been a press release essentially, and a series of talking points. So now once the final policy is released, then we will, uh, you know, examine that and see what the actual uh, impact of that on our, our industry will be and where we need to weigh in and, and see what we have to do. Those are the two major um, areas federally. Of course, taxes will come back. Senator Durbin will still continue. If there are legislative legislative vehicles where they can try and insert that, we're going to have to be cognizant of that as well. Right. Do you, what, what do you honestly think, Josh? Like, I, I know, and I don't know if anyone's asked you this, probably they have, but what do you think the odds are uh, of uh, Senator Durbin getting that thing passed. Like he's been trying to do this for years and it's just, it never, it never seems to come to fruition. It's always like this big specter. Oh no, like Durbin's at it again, but it never happens. Like, what do you think? Is this, is this a truly a fight that we've got to worry about? Or is it just like roll your eyes and like, it's the old man just screaming at the clouds this year. It was a real threat. I mean, it could have gone the other way very easily. Um, Senator Durbin's in senior leadership. You have one party control of the White House, both chambers. And, you know, honestly, we, we had support from the newly formed in November, the Congressional Cigar Caucus, which we can talk a little bit later about. Uh, but we had congressional Democrats, moderate Democrats in both the House and Senate that went and said, no, this isn't going to work. My constituents and, and the small businesses in this sector can't live with these astronomical taxes. It's funny math. I've said that we did 150 yeah. congressional meetings on this this year. It's funny math. They're saying, and, and to Glenn's point about the economics of it, you know, they're saying year to year, you slap this big tax on it and they're going to increase and the revenue is going to go up every single year. That's simply not true. You, th- this was introduced as a cessation prohibition bill and then conveniently wrapped in a bow for the Build Back Better Act that there, it was suddenly going to raise this revenue. And I think one of the points that was that made the most sense to people was, all right, what is it? You can have it either way. It's either going to re- raise revenue or reduce smoking. You, you can't have both. Right. Because it's designed, I mean, it's, de- it's designed to do one or the other. It can't, it's not designed to do both. It can't, it's impossible to do both. Well, our favorite or my favorite flaw in the whole tax equalization measure that did get through, you know, at least one chamber is that uh, uh, it was based upon 96, that it would generate $96 billion, 96 billion. Well, guess what? It included products that the FDA has already gone on record as saying they're going to ban them. 96 billion, but it included flavored vape. It included flavored, you know, menthol cigarettes. It included the whole tobacco universe. So, hey, we're we're telling the public, we're telling the president, we're telling the Congress that we're going to generate 96 billion to help pay for infrastructure or whatever bill they want to put it in. But guess what? We're not putting a dollar figure on the products that we intend to ban. That you've gone on record, you intend to ban in that calculation. Absolutely mind-boggling. So, Glenn, let's let's shift to you in the state side. What do you see uh, coming up this year as, uh, you know, some of the most, uh, uh, the, the, 
more important things to be worried about to kind of that look for the fight on. I think, and and to what Josh had said earlier, the the flavored cigars. Uh, I think I just read something earlier today that somewhere past a it was a town that passed. A, I think it was Denver passed a cigar. Yeah, they Denver. passed a uh, flavor ban, but cigar shops are exempt. That's right. Uh, we helped we helped work on that a little bit with Councilman Paul Cashman's office, uh, who I say that publicly because it's been in the public record that he's been an advocate for uh, for exemptions for cigar shops, and that was not an easy lift for the councilman. Uh, but it did receive support uh, when it went for the final vote. So that was one. But that story's not over yet. I don't want to get too much in the weeds on it, but the rest of that story hasn't been totally written yet. Um, but in terms of the states, I think, you know, if we say the word tax a thousand times, it won't be enough because you've always got to be cognizant of it. You never know where out of the woodwork. I mean, I'll never forget. I will never forget. One of the leaders of the, of the Washington State Legislature stood up about five, six years ago on the, on the floor uh, of their capital and said, my job is not to raise money from tobacco industry for this state. My job is to put them out of business. And you're not going to get around the ideologues. And I say that with all degree of you know, love and respect. Ideologues who just want to blow up the tobacco universe and could absolutely care less what product we're looking yes. down at a table of. Whether it's, you know, I've done this before. I've actually done this before. You put down, you know, the cigarettes, the mass market products, chewing tobacco, and you put down a, a $450 box of cigars and they look down and they, we, they look at you and say, we honestly don't care. Treat them all the same. But I want to quickly go back to what you mentioned with Josh about was it serious and is it serious? To me, the bellwether moment telling me it was serious was when big tobacco went grassroots. Big tobacco can normally get what they want from leadership. And that's a public statement. I mean, it's just a given fact. Big tobacco can pull a lot of muscle in Washington, D.C. When big tobacco executes a comprehensive grassroots strategy on this tax bill, that's when I said, we've got to be taking this seriously. And we took it as seriously, believe me. Josh, wouldn't you argue we were... We were against it before being against yeah, it was cool. Absolutely. I, I look I mean, back in 2019, I was quoted in Cigar Aficionado about it. I mean, it, we, we, we knew that, you know, this, this was going to be a major challenge and we, we had to kind of muster up everyone and, and sending talking points around, around the horn to everybody, letting them know that this is uh, credible. And to that point, I would say what further uh, validates that point um, you know, in the latest version that went over that passed the house, a nicotine tax for e-cigarettes was still included in that bill. Mm. So e-cigarettes and vaping products, which are, you know, significantly more of a moneymaker than the premium cigar market, they were included in that tax uh, in, in the final version of the house bill. And we were not. Wow. So James, I want that to be the quote of the day out of this broadcast. We were against it before being against it was cool. Absolutely. I, that's a, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll name the episode. Let me go. Let me quick. I want to. I want to go back to your question though about what to look out for. Uh, I think aside from taxes, we need to be very, very cognizant of legislation that allows for local authority to tax, local authority to regulate. And some jurisdictions have taken it a step further to get into regulating the distribution of tobacco products that could affect us. So having these local authority bills, you. You know, that's passing the buck and legislatures love to pass the buck. Oh, it's not our problem. It's their problem. It's not you. It's me. Um, and, and those bills were introduced in the last year. And I think they could come back in Tennessee, Kentucky, Oregon, Missouri. Um, I think we've got some very positive traction uh, thanks to the retail political community. And that's what they are. They've really organized themselves politically in New York. And New York has some very positive bills on a tax cap and a cigar bar bill. And they've got the right sponsors. They've courted the right leadership. They've, they've done their grassroots work. Those bills will be back in January and hold, a, I think, a great deal of promise. And they're really organizing themselves well in, in New York. And that was recognized, coupled with Michigan, for how well they're doing it politically by the PCA at the trade show last year. We've got these amazing models out there for other states to learn from. And one of the things we're, Josh and I both are going to put a lot of focus on in the coming year is sharing these models. You know, if a successful tax cap 
gets signed by a Democratic governor in North Carolina and Michigan, that's a great message to, to Illinois, New Jersey, and New York. Uh, connecting these, these models that have been created over the last decade to where getting a cigar bar bill through in, in Montana or North Dakota could learn from a cigar bar bill in Arkansas and Louisiana. Um, so having that type of information exchange is going to be a cornerstone of our work in the coming year. Uh, tobacco tax reform legislation in Nevada. Uh, some of the legislation, too, that I think we need to keep an eye out on because they've set horrible national precedents is, is legislation that would allow employers to test for nicotine as a condition yep. of employment. And that legislation has existed in Indiana and Kentucky. Uh, not exactly two states that I would peg to, to first come out with that, but literally they were. And all it takes is one bad idea in Indiana to spread to Oregon. That, that's, that's for sure. And, and, and so have those types of bills that would allow for local control, employer control over what you do in your off time. And the, the bills that have done this tried to regulate this, that you could report your fellow employees you could report your fellow employees hypothetically if they saw you in a cigar shop. That's insane. What kind of a big brother yeah. state? No. I'm not kidding. You no. can't make this stuff it's up. So it's 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 why we've got to be cognizant of what's going on across the board. And Josh and I will shift, and our whole team will shift through what Josh. What was the count last year? Close to ten thousand pieces of legislation in all fifty we're states. To, we're up to thirteen you take, over over the full full year. You know, so you take the ten to 13,000 after you carve out those that are purely vape and e-cigarette oriented, those that are purely cigarette oriented, those that are purely smokeless oriented. All right, so we chisel it down to about 1,000. I, I think I'm pretty close to these numbers, Josh, but feel free to correct me. We chisel that down to about 2,500 bills that we really got to look at. And then you take those 2,500 bills and say, these are really serious. And you end up, you know, posting 50 bills on our website that the cigar public needs to be much, much more concerned about than others. But we start with that 10 to 13,000 number. And now we're in the pre-filing period in the States. We're going to know a lot about what we're dealing with over the next, you know, 60 to 60 days or or so. And um, we're going to rely on, on broadcasts like this to help spread the word on things, on bills that are both opportunities and threats. So I hope that kind of paints the picture of where we're going in, in the States and if, feel free to you know fill in the blanks real quick, real quick. I want to make sure folks do know at this stage that the bill that would allow uh, Florida local governments to regulate smoking is alive. It's gotten through one committee. Uh, it may or may not have promise, but one day it will have more traction than not. So we have to take it seriously every single year. Uh, so people can go to cigaraction.org to go ahead and voice their concerns in opposition to that piece of Florida legislation today. So with that, I will shut up and take more questions. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, for sure. Like I will make sure that that is in the uh, show notes, <clears throat> show notes, excuse me, uh, cigaraction.org. Everyone go there right now and sign up. I mean, this is your way as a consumer uh, to be more involved uh, and to make sure that your voice is heard because guys like Glenn and Josh, that's what they're here for. They're to make, they're here to make sure that your voice is heard. Uh, and I know we're quickly running out of time here and I know you guys are both very busy guys, so I don't want to keep you too long, but Josh, uh, and Glenn, you, I'm sure you can speak to this too, because politics is all about relationships. Politics is all about trying to find common ground. And sometimes that common ground is when both sides are just unhappy. I'd like to know a little bit more about how the lobbying goes, Josh, um, and, and kind of what's involved with that. Cause I know it's a lot of relationships, but I, I have a tack on, I want to, uh, uh, put on that question. And that is 30 years ago. Republicans would have been the ones that would have said, let's, let's enact a vice tax. Let's put a vice tax on something, whether it's alcohol or tobacco or whatever. And now like, it seems to me like things have kind of shifted and now it's the Democrats who are like, let's tax the like ever loving crap out of this and, and try to tax it out of existence. And the Republicans are more libertarian now in some in, uh, instances where they're like, eh, it's kind of, if the people want to do it, let them do it. Like, sure, we can take our pound of flesh, but like, let's just let them do it. So, Josh, can you speak to those points just real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I think most of the time, you know, lobbying in a nutshell, and I think Hollywood over dramatizes what lobbying actually is. You know, Glenn mentioned sifting through 13,000 bills. 
you know, that that isn't, you know, necessarily the most exciting part of it's the role. It's not sexy. I mean, no, it, no, it's not. No, it isn't at all. You know, it, we, we like the ones where we get to have those public forums and interviewing members of Congress and going to the FDA. You know, that that's what you, you, a lot of the times we send press releases about. But there's a lot of behind the scenes of, you know, sifting through the information, understanding that information, and then us being able to communicate that to our membership and then also to members of Congress and staff. So, you know, I mentioned I've done 150 federal uh, congressional meetings this year. Uh, we've done, since I've started, we're, we're, we're around the 750 mark of those educational meetings. And some of it is as simple as, this is what a premium cigar is, and this is not a cigarette. Um, this is what the differences are. Here are the, the health data, you know, that comes from the NIH, that comes from the FDA about premium cigars. Wow. So, you know, I, I think most of the, the job itself is educating people. Um, and on the relationship side, we have champions on, on both sides of the aisle. We have ardent opponents on both sides of the aisle. Premium cigars are not Republican or Democrat. Um, it, it really is its own right. And, and we are we're trying to build coalitions of, of unlikely partners where we can get a group of both Republicans and Democrats together. And, and you know, Glenn men mentioned the story about uh, Jesse Jackson Jr. Um, about two, two and a half years ago, when I was just first getting started with the association, there was a fundraiser uh, for a Republican member of Congress at W. Curtis Draper, uh, John Anderson shop right near the White House. So all Republican staff, probably about 30 Republicans, um, and we were there on behalf of our political action committee. We're, you know, we're bipartisan. We support, you know, candidates on both sides of the aisle. And a Democratic, a longstanding Democratic uh, member of Congress walks into the event thinking that he was just going to buy cigars at W. Curtis Draper. And, uh, you know, everyone kind of chuckled that, that he came to this Republican event and he stayed for three wow. hours because it wasn't about, you know, every all of the friction. And, and the very next day he was on Twitter, you know, attacking yeah. Republicans. But it, it, we left it at the door, and that's kind of encapsulates the beauty of that that cigar lounge, where relationships can can be built. And um, you know, pre COVID, we we did a started I started a public engagement series um, where we would have our office basically open, um, where we would have consumers, retailers, our membership, members of Congress, and staff to show movies like Hand Rolled to, you know, have Drew Newman talk about the J.C. Newman factory, for people to sample cigars, to roll cigars, to do pairings and blendings and all of the above. So, again, we're, we're very big on the experiential um, education and teaching people about cigars, and that definitely leads into relationship building across the aisle. Nice. Uh, I, you know, and that's interesting because we do live in such a in a time where there's such divisiveness uh, across the board politically. And I kind of I, I kind of do think that politics, for the most part, what you see on Twitter and what you see on C-SPAN and, and, and it's all kabuki theater. It's all just to to rile up their base. And I wonder, I mean, on some level, I'm sure they they kind of think I'm doing I'm doing the good thing. I'm doing I can, no one's the the villain in their in their own story. Right. But. I feel like a lot of it's just theater and they know in their heart of hearts, some of this stuff just isn't going to get passed and they're just trying to get through whatever they can. And it's guys like you and it's guys like Glenn that kind of stop that uh, and, and get people from the other side to go, I don't know, I think some of this is okay. And some of this isn't. Uh, and so I, I really respect what you guys do a lot. Cause I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't, I, I'm not that guy. I can't be like bring two sides together. I would just be like, you're wrong and you're right. Or you're wrong and you're right. Like there's just, when I set out for my career, I originally wanted to be a political science professor. I wanted to teach, you know, politics at the academic level. And, um, you know, I kind of said, you know, in order to do that, I actually need to know how to do it myself. I didn't want to be one of those professors that, you know, had never done it firsthand. 
And um, so that kind of led me down the route of advocacy, more from that communications grassroots uh, school of thought. And that has continued. I, I teach at George Washington University also, um, so I have the best of both worlds. But it's similar to my 20 students that I have at the graduate level. It's teaching this subset of our membership about government. And that's rewarding. You know, teaching people civics to me is a, a rewarding venture and doing it in the lens of premium cigars, which I, I know and love and enjoy daily. I, you know, both Glenn and I, I think are outliers when it comes to those FDA statistics about usage. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where not a day goes by uh, where I don't wake up feeling proud. Uh, and, and I know Glenn feels the same way, being proud of what we do for all the people that it affects. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I know Glenn does. Uh, just uh, you guys are both so passionate about it and you're passionate about what you do uh, and you do it on the federal level. I mean, that's your that that's your uh, area. That's your wheelhouse, Josh. And Glenn does it on, on the state level. And, and and so how do you how do you do that? Like, this will be the last question. Like, how do you bring people together on a state level? Because on a state level, I feel like it's probably a little bit harder because they're more dug into where they're at. They're more dug in with their beliefs. We're on a federal level. They're used to, um, you know, having that give and take, um, you know, and they'll rile up their base, but they'll have that give and take on a state level. It's like, no, this is the way it needs to be because this is my state and I want it to be like this. I'll tell you, it kind of goes back to the previous comment I made about, you know, it's like what Tip O'Neill used to say, all politics is local. And even though things are, are entrenched in terms of a partisan context, and I can give you some recent examples as a result of the election to, to dramatize this. But, you know, if you've got a, let me give you a federal example and a state example. Uh, when we were pushing for the exemption legislation in, in Congress, uh, I watched a member of Congress totally sign onto the bill, sight unseen, because one cigar shop, the only cigar shop in that congressional district personally called him. And that cigar shop said, I have never asked a thing of you. I have never asked you for anything. But this is about the survival of my business. Wow. We actually, in the, in the office, it was an Illinois congressman, and we physically put the, put the retailer on the phone in the office in Washington on the phone with the retailer and bam, he said, where do I sign? Because of an impassioned plea from a constituent to support a given piece of legislation. At the state level, you know, we've just gone through elections in Virginia and New Jersey. The states will be cranking back up in a political context. It, when you talk about building the network and having that personal touch, I would argue actually that it's easier at the state level than it is in Washington in many ways. Because that, that single cigar shop, we have, we have state legislative districts where there may be three cigar shops in a given state legislative district. That, if each cigar shop, and I think this is a decent number, if each cigar shop has a base of customers of two to 3,000 people, that's a bona fide political constituency that there isn't a special interest group in America wouldn't give the mm. right arm for. If we can galvanize you know, one cigar shop's base, base of customers, that is a political constituency at the state level that is enviable by many, many other special interest groups. Now, the, the, the dilemma comes in is that heart, lung, and cancer can galvanize thousands right. of members instantaneously, thousands of members. We've got to do the same. We've been working towards that goal for, for a long time now, and we're just now, I think, getting that critical mass to where we can say, listen, we help move the needle on that. But I, I would argue at the state level where, you know, a single shop calls up their local member and says, I got 2000 customers and we're relying on your vote on this bill. That's a powerful political message. And I've just seen it. I've seen it happen through three decades of watching capitals uh, in my professional life. And I don't think the lessons changed from, you know, my, this will be the 35th anniversary of my first session of the Virginia General Assembly. Wow. Yeah, I know. I've aged so much more gracefully. You have. Um, but, That's uh, why I stalked you, Glenn. My, 
Man, that's more years than I've been on this earth. <laughs> yeah, let's put that in perspective. <laughs> I, I, on Simply Sogies, I'd like to announce my resignation <laughs> from TCA. <laughs> um, no, 35 years. And, but the, 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 the tactics, the game, the communications tool, they're more sophisticated today, but the game is the same. Yeah. It's about outreach. It's about touching your member. It's about, and I, I have said this very publicly on at the end of every petition that I've ever put out in the last decade, at the end of every discussion with an elected official, whether you're a cigar shop owner or a consumer, in the discussion with this comment, I'm going to remember what you do on election day. Yeah. End, end every conversation with, I'm going to remember what you do on election day. We say that enough in this country, they're going to listen. Yes. Even on something, it ought to be as simple as, as enjoying a cigar. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if somebody wants, if, if somebody has a shop and they're listening right now and you're a B&M owner and they want to get a hold of you and say, Hey, please, you know, let's just do a virtual uh, government affairs sure. update. Or is it like, how, how do we get you here in person? Who do they reach out to? What's the contact information for that? They can reach. Either, yeah, one, of either us. one of us, you know, to get a lot of the informational materials, cigaraction.org, um, you know, it's just Glenn and, and Joshua at premiumcigars.org, our email addresses. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're happy to set those things up. And, um, you know, Glenn and I have, have gotten a good one-two punch tag teaming a lot of these um, different briefings and that. So we got it, got it down to uh, a bit of a science and, um, you know, we're happy to do those for, for any brick and mortar retailers, um, you know, or, or consumer groups as well. You know, we know I presented to uh, a group over the Thanksgiving holiday in the Williamsburg, Virginia area at a shop um, that, uh, it, it, that was just a collection of 30 or 40 uh, consumers. So we're, we're happy to do e- either or. Absolutely. I will make sure that that's in the show notes as well. Uh, uh, Joshua at uh, premium cigar uh, association.com. Is that right? Uh, just premium cigars.org. Joshua premium cigars.org. Uh, there you go. Uh, so I'll make sure both of those emails are in there um, because I do think it's important uh, to, to get this into the hands of the, consu- in the, uh, the consumers and not just the retailers. Uh, because like you said, consumers have just as much of pool with their, with their uh, state uh, senators and congressmen as, uh, as the retailers do. So Josh Abersky, Glenn loop gentlemen, thank you so much. I know you're busy. I will let you go. I thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. And I, I hope to have you back next year, hopefully after April, when everything uh, comes out from that study and we can talk about what the strategy is and, uh, what was said, I think that'll be an interesting conversation, Josh. Absolutely. And we look forward to, if you're ever in the DC area, feel free to stop by for a cigar. We love hosting people here and, uh, meeting in person. Uh, you know what, uh, DC, Baltimore, uh, Virginia, that's all on my list of places to go once, uh, winter is come and gone. <laughs> Glenn Loop, Josh Abersky. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, James. Appreciate it a lot. And join me next time where I'm not quite sure what I'm talking about, but I promise it'll be Simply Stogies. Stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies.